Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? Oh, I'm doing okay. My niece and nephew have been visiting from Los Angeles, and it's been really great to get to hang out with them some, but I did have a health scare the other day. See, I picked up this book and started reading it, and as I was reading it, I got the feeling that something was wrong. And the more I read, the more nervous I started getting. In a near state of panic, I finally closed the book and looked at the cover and I was able to finally breathe a sigh of relief. Those jokes were truly tasteless. I thought I had COVID. Thank you, thank you. But you didn't tune into this show just to hear me make terrible jokes. You tuned in to hear me make terrible jokes about a comic book. So, without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. New Titans, number 63, February, 1990. Into the Darkness. Written by Marv Wolfman. Drawed by Tom Grummet. Inked by Bob McLeod. Lettered by John Costanza. Colored by Adrian Roy. And edited by Jonathan Peterson and Mike Carlin. New Titan Roll Call. Cyborg. Starfire, Raven, Troya, Jericho, Speedy, Beast Boy, and Deathstroke the Terminator. Previously in New Titans. An indeterminate but seemingly significant amount of comic book time ago, the Teen Titans ran afoul of a souped-up super assassin named Slade Wilson, a.k.a. Deathstroke the Terminator who used 90% of his brains, but only 50% of his eyeballs. Deathstroke tried many times to murder the young heroes, including one attempt which led to the death of a teenage girl the middle-aged mercenary had been sexually exploiting. Then he decided to mostly stop murdering people, so the Titans decided he was a pretty cool guy who they could trust and respect. In more recent Titan news, Nightwing took a leave of absence from the team to spend some quality time with his mentor Batman, and also buy a circus. In his absence, the acrobatic adventurer asked his old buddy and former Titan, Roy Harper, aka Speedy, to fill in for him. The gang needed all the help they could get, because one, Beast Boy's stepdad wouldn't let him do any more Titansing until his grades improved, and B, there was a vicious creature on the loose who had been disemboweling wealthy New Yorkers. Our heroes tracked the killer into the sewers, but were ambushed by not one, but two enormous rat-like humanoids. The Titans managed to escape, but during the attack, Troya was badly injured, and Speedy stumbled into Raven's stalagmite-filled pocket dimensions, where he tripped balls for a minute before resolving to stop being such a fuck-up. The gang rushed Donna to the hospital at Star Labs, but she had a type of infection the doctors had never seen before. Raven used her nonsense magic powers at her ailing teammate just as hard as she could, but with no result. Oh no! But then she nonsensed even harder, and Donna's condition finally stabilized. Hooray! Beast Boy checked in for a quick visit to see if his pal was gonna be okay. 
After being assured that Donna would recover, the Emerald Adolescent hurried off to attend a fundraising event with his stepdad, Steve Dayton, the fifth richest and therefore fifth most trustworthy man in America, at the home of a fancy lawyer named Walter Lanier. Gar was surprised to realize that he wasn't the only super-powered individual attending the stuffy formal event. A few weeks earlier, Deathstroke had been attacked at his home in the very specific location of Africa, and had reason to believe that Lanier was involved. The miffed mercenary had infiltrated Lanier's party and was intent on seeking both answers and vengeance. Beast Boy spotted Slade slipping upstairs to confront his quarry, and decided to tag along to see what his old frenemy was up to. He saw Slade holding a sword to the host's throat, and decided that even though he now thought Deathstroke was a cool, cool guy, he couldn't let him do a murder. Deathstroke argued that he really wanted to do a murder, but Gar was unswayed, and a skirmish ensued. Deathstroke emerged triumphant, but before he could deliver his eponymous stroke of death, Lania transformed into a giant rat monster and attacked his would-be killer. Beast Boy leapt to his former enemy's defense, but during the resulting chaos, both Deathstroke and the Rat Man managed to slip away. After answering what few questions he could for the authorities, Gar headed to the Titan's T-shaped skyscraper to fill his old buddies in on the situation, and share the arguably good news that his stepfather had given him permission to rejoin the team for the remainder of the mission. Meanwhile, in the sewers beneath the city, a mysterious hooded rat man whose face was wrapped in bandages, like Mumra before he calls on the ancient spirits of evil, sat on a makeshift throne and gloated that everything was going according to his secret plan. Gadzooks! Just what is this Mumrat's evil plan anyway? How will Speedy demonstrate his resolve not to be a fuck-up anymore? And what actions will Deathstroke take to show that he's put his evil ways behind him and is now one of the good guys? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... Um... To turn some people into rat creatures, some people into bat creatures, and other people into horses, I think? So that they can all kill some other people and reanimate them as zombies by continuing to be a fuck-up. And he breaks into a teenager's room and holds a knife to his throat. Yeah. Gar Logan is in his room, fast asleep, wearing his PJs and a sleep mask. Deathstroke sneaks into his window, holds a knife to his throat, and is like, Hey, buddy, if you try to move or turn into an animal, I'll slit your throat and kill you. I just wanted to let you know that I'm a good guy now. Also, I'm going to kill Lanier and all the other rat men because murdering them is the only way to stop them. I can't tell you any more than that because I don't want to, but I had to tell you this much because I wanted to. In summation, I'm definitely a good guy now. Tell my son Jericho that I love him and am a good guy. Okay, bye. He sneaks back out the window, leaving a tormented beast boy in his wake. The next morning, Gar and the rest of the Titans check in on Donna at Star Labs. Remember how last issue the doctor said she was going to be okay? Well, now she's not. She has a weird rash on her face, and she has yet to regain consciousness since her assault. Speedy is like, Damn it, this sucks for me, because I used to have a crush on her back when I was a real piece of shit. Which I'm definitely not anymore. Why does everything bad happen to me? Beast Boy is like, Oh, hey, speaking of people who definitely aren't pieces of shit anymore, Joey? 
Your dad stopped by to hold a knife to my throat last night. He says hi. As Gar fills the gang in on Slade's late-night visit, the monocular menace in question is spying on Walter Lanier from the rafters in an abandoned warehouse. Lanier is in his were-rat form, and, flanked by several henchmen, is torturing one of Deathstroke's former associates, a smuggler named McGuffey. Even more rat-like than the majority of his profession, lawyer, is like, Okay, McGuffey, how did Deathstroke find out the identities of me and the other ratmen? McGuffey is like, I, 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 I don't know. I was just helping him smuggle guns into the country, because that's what he does now that he's a good guy. Lanier is like, fine, have it your way. He bites open McGuffey's jugular and drinks his blood. Once McGuffey is dead, Lanier turns to his flunkies and is like, Now get him out of here. We'll finish questioning him later. Huh. As he dispassionately watches his dead former co-worker get dragged out of the room, Deathstroke gets out his knife and thinks to himself, I sure would love to murder Lanier now, but first I need to find out his plans. And to do that, I'm going to need the assistance of some fellow good guys. Meanwhile, in a fancy part of town, two rat monsters, a horse monster, I think, and that mum rat guy from the end of the last issue, have just murdered a rich guy and are hanging out in his library. One of the rat guys is like, Man, it's weird that a rich guy like this had so many Clive Barker books. The other rat guy is like, Yeah, I always think of horror as being a genre for the common man. Mumrat is like, Silence, fools! Everyone loves Clive Barker. Now pour this mysterious serum down this Clive Barker fan's throat so that at midnight he'll come back to life and be in our thrall. Soon we'll have an army of thousands of zombies to do our bidding. Neat, huh? The rat guys are like, Yeah, super neat! Plus we get to drink all the blood, which is the thing we like to do. The horse guy just stands there looking creepy fucking horse guy. A little while later, the Titans are hanging out in an alley in Brooklyn behind a warehouse. Cyborg is like, I don't know about this beast boy. You said a mysterious voice on the phone said we should meet him here, but didn't explain why? Beast boy is like, yup. Cyborg's like, okay, good enough for me. Suddenly, Deathstroke pops up from behind a crate and is like, hey guys, that was me. At first, the gang isn't sure they should trust Deathstroke, but then Beast Boy is like, Of course we can trust him! When he snuck into my bedroom and held a knife to my throat, he specifically said he was a good guy. This seems to put most of the gang's concerns to rest. Speedy's still a little salty, but he probably just feels threatened whenever he's not the most terrible person in any given room. Hey Speedy, I hope you know that just because we have a new awful person in our lives, doesn't mean we dislike you any less. Hatred shared is not hatred diminished, okay, big guy? Okay. Deathstroke is like, Hey, Gar, sorry about the whole breaking into your house while you were sleeping and then threatening to kill you thing. It's the only way I could think of to get in touch with you. Beast Boy is like, Really? Because if you were the one who made that mysterious phone call earlier today, then that means you had my phone number. Why couldn't you have just called? Deathstroke is like, Anyway, 
Let's get up on that rooftop and I'll fill you in on the situation as we spy on the rat men through a skylight. Gar, Joey, Raven, Victor, and Deathstroke head up to the rooftop. Roy takes a minute to hit on Starfire by emphasizing his similarities to her boyfriend and his best friend, Dick. Coriander politely rebuffs his advances, then carries him up to the rooftop so that they can rejoin the rest of the group. Fucking speedy. Once they are settled in for their stakeout, Deathstroke is like, So here's the deal. Now that I'm a good guy, I can't do assassinations anymore, so I mostly just smuggle guns and drugs into the country. You know, like a good guy. Anyway, this company told me that they had a cure for AIDS and cancer that they wanted to keep a secret and sell to billionaires, so I told them I'd help them get it here without letting the government know. You know, typical good guy stuff. Only it turns out the people who hired me weren't hoarding the cure to cancer and AIDS. They were doing bad things. They were turning some people into monsters and then using the serum I smuggled in for them to reanimate people who they killed by drinking their blood. Cyborg is like, wait, they drink blood? Deathstroke is like, yeah, they're basically vampires, but also kind of werewolves. And they're turning people into zombies and their leader looks sort of like a mummy. Gar is like, what, no Frankensteins? Deathstroke is like, well, they are using science to reanimate corpses, so... Speedy is like, well, actually, Frankenstein was technically the name of the... Before he gets the chance to finish demonstrating that he is, in fact, the absolute worst, a rat monster jumps out of nowhere and bites the shit out of Raven's throat. Oh, shit. Deathstroke is the first to react probably on account of he uses 90% of his brain. He attacks the rat monster. The rat monster throws him off the roof. Maybe should have held out for that extra 10%, huh, buddy? Starfire snags the tumbling Terminator out of the air, then blasts a hole in the rat monster with a burst of magic space fire. Victor cradles Raven in his arms and is like, She's dying! Gar is like, Quick, Starfire! Get Raven to the hospital! Now! Coriander is like, You got it! Then she just stands there and looks at the charred body of the rat man, and is like, I had to kill him. It was the only way to stop him. Speedy is like, don't worry about it. It's cool. Starfire is like, I wasn't worried about it, and I know it's cool. I was just saying. Speedy is like, and I was just saying that I think killing is cool. I bet if Dick was here, he'd be all like, Meh, my name's Dick, and I think killing people is bad, and I've got a great butt. Watch me do a flip. Starfire is like, yeah, Dick does have a great butt. Then the rat monster comes back to life and attacks them again. Speedy tries to wrestle the monster, but mostly he just gets in the way until Coriander shoves him aside and fully incinerates the creature until only a pile of ashes remains. When the beast is gone, the spicy space princess collapses in tears and is like, I can't believe I killed him. Okay. As Roy puts his arm around Cory to console her, Cyborg is like, uh, speaking of dead, I think Raven is. Everyone reacts with horrified shock. Then Starfire's like, no, she's not. Vic is like, Oh, good. Hey, weren't you going to take her to the hospital? Starfire is like, oh yeah. She takes Raven to Star Labs. A short while later, the gang convenes in the waiting room and watches as Raven is prepped for surgery. 
a team of surgeons rushes into the operating room to treat the ailing Azerathian. Well, a team of surgeons and one guy who is dressed like a surgeon, but has just emerged from a supply closet where a guy in his underwear is bound and gagged. Uh-oh. You know, I don't want to be an alarmist, but it might be time for Star Labs to invest in a more robust security system than just a sign out front that says, thank you for not infiltrating. Donna's husband, Terry, shows up and is like, I'm sad that Donna's still hurt, and also sad that Raven's now hurt. Fair enough. The gang watches through a plexiglass window as Raven's surgery gets underway. At first, things seem to be going pretty well. Then the fake doctor guy takes out a vial of a strange liquid from his pocket and dumps it down Raven's throat while whistling inconspicuously. One of the actual doctors is like, What the hell are you doing? The fake doctor is like, Oh, you know, doctor stuff, medicine and whatnot. Unconvinced, the actual doctor starts yelling for security. Star Lab security? Silly doctor. What, does she think the no-infiltrating sign is going to rush in there and save the day? Joey sees the commotion through the plexiglass and uses his creepy lemur eyes power to jump into the body of one of the nurses, then karate chop the pretend doctor in the neck. Hooray! Or not so hooray. Because the fake doctor is like, Nah, fuck that. We got Raven now, and we'll take you too. Then he transforms into a giant bat monster, slaps the Joey right out of the nurse, then dumps some of the strange liquid into Jericho's mouth as well. The rest of the Titans finally manage to get through the plexiglass and into the room, but Dr. Batmonster is like, You assholes are too late. The shit I did to these guys can't be undone. He busts out a window and flies away. Starfire flies after Dr. Bats, but as he flees, the winged monster picks up a houseless person and drops him off a rooftop. Starfire is forced to give up her pursuit to rescue the innocent bystander, and by the time she sets him on the ground, the monster is nowhere to be seen. Dejected, the Tamaranian princess returns to the hospital, where Raven and Jericho are in critical condition. Beast Boy is like, If they die, they'll turn into zombies! Then we'll have to kill them! Oh, so then I hope they don't die, so you won't have to kill them? To be continued. And joining me once again is my good-for-many-things brother. Corey, are you familiar with the phrase thought-terminating cliché? No. I only recently became aware of it. It is apparently one of those clichés that is meaningless but ends a thought. Probably the most prominent and, to my mind, most annoying example would be, it is what it is. It's a cliche, doesn't actually mean anything, but it's like, and now we're moving on to the next thing. Mm. Do you have a favorite one of those? Gosh. Um, yeah, I think my favorite is to shrug and say, nobody knows. That's a good one. I use that one a lot, too. Mm-hmm. I did not have the terminology to know what this was, but I have another favorite that I think I may have uh, been the progenitor of, which is, well, people do things. Oh, yeah. 
a number of years ago, a friend of mine had been dating another friend of mine who, frankly, I was probably closer friends with. And I was pretty hungover. It was the morning. I think we were going out to breakfast. And it was the, like, third consecutive week of them bitching to me about my other friend. Ugh. And I realized that I had completely checked out of our conversation and, for the most part, our friendship at that point. And he looked at me in Askins and I was like, oh, it's my turn to talk, isn't it? And I just said, yeah, well, people do things. And apparently that was enough of an answer that it was just like, yeah, I guess. I was like, oh, okay, I should, should remember that one. Yeah. It's not a good one if anybody is paying even slight attention to what you're saying. Mm -hmm. But uh, sometimes it's just barely enough. It's always good to have just barely enough in your back pocket. Indeed. Speaking of something which may or may not be barely enough, you want to talk about this comic book? Yeah, let's do it. Corey, what did you think of this comic book? You know, it surprised me. I enjoyed it. Really? Yeah. I did not. I am surprised that you enjoyed it as well. Yeah. Okay, what did you like about this comic book? Two things. I'm rarely surprised when something happens in these comics because I think we've been reading them for so long and they follow a certain kind of pattern. Mm -hmm. And I'm 99.9% .9 sure everything's going to turn out fine, but I was actually surprised when that rat thing jumped out and bit Raven in the neck. Okay. You're right, that was a pretty good jump scare. I think I, I put it down and said, whoa! <laughs> that rarely happens. I can understand that. There were a number of things in the book that surprised me, but they surprised me in part at least because they didn't completely make sense. I'm sorry, we'll get to my criticisms later. You said there were two things that you uh, liked about the book. Yeah, uh, <laughs> let me check my notes because I can't remember the other one. Okay. Oh, yeah, just this... I don't know, kind of like what you might get if you're watching a scary movie or a, you know, we've got to avert the apocalypse kind of movie. This idea of, oh shit, bad things are about to happen. And I really got that feeling when you see that the doctor going in to administer care to Raven is not the doctor, but it's mm. probably, I don't know, Wildebeest. <laughs> probably. Man. Star Labs has the worst fucking security they in keep, the universe. They, Stop going to that they hospital. They keep going there. They need to not go to that hospital it's anymore. So dumb. Maybe that's like what their insurance provider, that's like the only place <laughs> that their HMO will accept. The insurance is provided by Star Corporation. I feel like the break room at Star Labs must just be like, oops, all villains. Yeah. <laughs> like... Hey, uh, so you guys got any Star Labs plans uh, that uh, maybe I could overhear? No, do you have any Star Labs plans that I can overhear? Wait a minute, are you Wildebeest? Yeah. Are you a rat man? Yeah. Shit, does anybody here actually work at Star Labs? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, but I think we had discussed before, or maybe you were talking about the Defenders, I can't remember, about this idea of, okay, we're setting up an arc, like, I hope it goes somewhere. Mm-hmm. Hope. Cyborg doesn't backpedal, hope stuff happens. And if nothing else, it does feel like it is setting up a pretty good set of really powerful villains, which may be made out of former superheroes. Maybe. I envy you that you can look at this book with that degree of optimism and that you were able to enjoy it. For me, this book was an example of 
So when my parents first moved to Portland, I was a little kid. There's a movie theater here called The Baghdad, which at the time did second-run movies that were dollar tickets, and they sold beer and pizza. Mm. And each week, their special pizza would have a joke name that was inspired by the movie they were showing. I worked at a pretty similar establishment a number of years later. But the first one of these that I encountered was not too long after this comic book came out, actually, but the Doors movie was playing there. And they had a pizza that was the Jim Morrison special because it had too much of everything. And that joke always stuck with me. And to my mind, that's what this issue is. There is too much of everything. It's a Jim Morrison pizza. It's a real Jim Morrison pizza. The last issue, I thought, really, really strong opening, gets you in the frame of mind of what is going to happen? How is he going to fit these pieces together? This issue is just, okay, more pieces, more pieces, more pieces. And I feel like it is falling pretty well in line with an established Marv Wolfman story arc trope, which is, you get that. You get a really strong open. Then the second issue will be, here's all of the ideas that I have, and some of them contradict each other, but I'm not going to worry about that. And then the next one is, I'm just going to forget about half of those ideas, tidy up things a little bit, things get resolved, but did they really? Dun, dun, dun. And I wasn't enthusiastic about it. For me, there were too many things that were happening in this book that did not seem to connect to each other. The storytelling didn't really flow from one scene to the other. You started off with, okay, so they're rat men, and there's like four of them, but pretty soon there's going to be thousands of them, and also they're bats, or sometimes vampires, and they're also zombies, some of them, and one of them looks like an embryonic horse, and it's done with science, but then they come back to life at midnight, and they drink blood, but then they replace the blood with serum, which got smuggled into the country. So if they're replacing the blood, that all of the blood that they drink with serum, that seems like it's a lot of serum. That's why they had to hire Deathstroke. He's the only one you can trust to, stroke, to uh, smuggle that much serum into mm, but, the you country. Know, they had to trick him into doing it because he's a good guy now, so he doesn't do bad things. He only went along with it because he thought what he was doing was keeping the cure for AIDS and cancer a secret and in the hands of the very wealthy. Yeah, he's a good guy now. Right. <laughs> Duh. Uh, uh, you see what I mean with just, like, it sets up all of these different things that are slightly self-contradictory and, like, the action doesn't flow from one thing to the other. I think you get a microcosm of that in the scene where Raven gets injured. You're right. Great jump scare. They're having a conversation. The rat creature, who looks like maybe a rat-slash-hippo creature hybrid in that panel, jumps out of nowhere, bites her neck. Everybody freaks out. Beast Boy is like, you need to get her to the hospital right away. Starfire's like, okay. And then stops and has a conversation about why she doesn't feel bad about killing the guy, and she's just explaining it, talks with Speedy about that. Then the rat creature comes back to life. Then she kills it again. And then her reaction to killing it again is that she's emotionally shaken from killing something, which she wasn't the first time she killed something. And then Beast Boy's like, um, can you take her to the hospital? And she's like, oh, right, right. And then Cyborg's like, she's dead. And then in the next panel, it's like, no, she's not. And then they do take her to the hospital. I found that really frustrating. See, I found that 
well, yes, frustrating that she took the time to have that conversation, but also it was kind of that thing. Like, when you're watching a movie and you're just like, people really need to do shit and they're not doing the shit and you're yelling mm-hmm. at the screen. Yeah. And it, it, for me, that was actually a little bit engaging. And I don't know. I think, <laughs> of, so you said that you envy my optimism. This is kind of going to come across, I guess, as like an underhanded compliment to, to Wolfman, but I feel like you're actually holding him to a higher standard and you have the optimism mm. that that pattern that you described earlier isn't going to keep happening in this series. Right. And I don't know. I yeah. I know I'm famous for you just going to let it wash over you, but maybe another way to say that is make peace with that. This is the third or fourth time we've seen this kind of yeah build more... up and then kind of let down for an arc. I know. I know. It's We talked last issue about the fact that he keeps setting up the football for me to kick like Lucy and Every time I'm amazed by his ability to get me to kick the football. Yeah. But every time I, I keep kicking it and every time I keep getting mad, you're right. I need to break this cycle of optimism <laughs> that I guess I do have. But uh, I found this issue very, very frustrating. I enjoyed the one jump scare. <laughs> okay. Did you know what I was talking about when I said the one time where the one of the creatures just looks like an embryonic horse for no reason? Is that the one that gets killed? No. He's just in the background of the panel where the Clive Barker enthusiast, who's a rich old lawyer, dies. But look at that guy. He's absolutely an embryonic horse. Yeah, that reminded me of... What's the Boots Riley movie? Sorry to Bother You? Oh, totally. Yeah. Had that kind of creepy cocaine horse vibe. Cocaine horse alien. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That scene where they just stop the comic for a minute and, like, the main new bad guy who's the robed rat man is basically like, yes, well, everyone from 8 to 80, be they rich or poor, loves the psychosexual horror fiction of Clive Barker. It's like, where did this come from? I don't know. My only guess was maybe Wolfman was reading books of blood at the time. (laughs) Must have been. But yeah, they break into this rich guy's house who I guess they're going to turn into, I don't know, one of their Renfield rat monsters, kind of. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the three rat men just stop and have like a philosophical conversation of why would a rich man read horror fiction? Because everybody loves Clive Barker. Yeah, I don't know. I thought that was actually kind of an interesting take on it, right? Because when you do see the stuffy old library, you think it's all going to be like, I don't know. Descartes' greatest hits, mm. leather bound. Yeah, co- just coffee table books about the Civil War. Yeah, things like that. And then he's shocked to find, you know, some popular fiction in there. Okay. I enjoy that from that stance. Rich people can appreciate a good story. What? <laughs> we talked a little bit about the fact that Deathstroke is a real piece of shit in this comic book. As always. He starts off the comic book by demonstrating that as well. What the actual (laughs) fuck, man? That didn't make any damn sense. I am so mad about that. (laughs) He breaks into Beast Boy's bedroom, holds a knife to his throat, and is like, Hey, sorry, this is the only way I could get this message to you. It's like, you could have used a telephone, you could have left a note, you could have broken into his apartment and not held a knife to his throat. There are a myriad of options at Just your disposal. Just knock on the window and say, Beast Boy, hey. He's already said that he's your friend. It's your pal Deathstroke. Don't squish me, okay? I'm coming in. Uh-huh. That's all you need to do. Well, and he also says, like, the reason I have to do it this way is because you could easily turn into an elephant or a lion and defeat me with no problem. Since fucking when? 
Since never. Since never. They have fought so many goddamn times. Deathstroke has literally always won pretty easily for the most part. And they're, I guess, friends now, which is also fucking garbage. The whole thing with Deathstroke made no goddamn sense. Uh, that was a big pile of poop. Mm-hmm. And I'm so mad at him. Can you imagine, like, I sometimes wear that. He's, Beast Boy's wearing uh, those, like, uh, sleeping mask, the sleeping mask thing mm-hmm. that keeps the light out so you can have a good snooze. Yeah. And this whole thing transpires with Deathstroke breaking in and putting the cold steel of his knife against his throat, and he's still, he's blindfolded. He's blindfolded, and he's also wearing pajamas with little hearts all over him. I just felt so bad for him. He's snuggling a stuffed owl in his bed. It is very, very cute. Yeah, you don't bring a knife to that sort of situation, ever. You don't bring a knife to a stuffed owl fight. Or a slumber party. Yeah. Yeah, that that probably makes more sense. (laughs) This is not cool. I did appreciate, though, the extent to which Beast Boy was dressed like Corey Haim from The Lost Boys, with the sleep mask and the, uh, and the frilly pajamas. And the... I did notice there was a difference, at least in terms of his apartment decor. As much as I hated that scene, I thought it was almost an inadvertent, interesting character-building moment for Beast Boy, because you see that when he is alone, he still cuddles a teddy bear, essentially. It's a stuffed owl, but it's basically a teddy bear. And he wears a sleep mask because maybe he has trouble sleeping. And he's got the pajamas with little hearts. He seems much younger than he normally tries to present himself. But you also get his bedroom is filled with empty picture frames. Did you notice that? No, I did not notice that. Look at that. Hmm. There's specifically empty picture frames, which seems like it is a weird non sequitur maybe. But then you remember how many people in Beast Boy's life have died. and. It's making a weird nihilistic statement that in conversation with him, like regressing to a younger age for his sleep when he feels secure, I think could potentially be making a very interesting statement about him and making him a more sympathetic character. Or he had a lot of those pictures of like ladies in bikinis that say slippery when wet that you would win at the like the fair. Oh, and uh, Steve Dayton made him take them all down because of his grades. Oh, you can have this picture of a lady washing a car back when I start seeing some B's and C's. That's right. Yeah. That's another possibility. Third possibility, pictures are hard to draw. Also that. So, a lot of options there. Speaking of the art, what did you think of the art in this comic book? I don't know if it was just me not paying maybe as close of attention as I could have, but I was really struck in this issue in particular by the amount of angle that you as the viewer are seeing things from Mm -hmm. switching around a lot more with like i'm looking i'm up high looking down i'm down looking up that to me was really visually engaging i agree i enjoyed that i think that is something we saw some of in the previous issue i think that's something that tom grummet does a lot and does pretty well there is a really strong i think use of cinematic elements uh like filmmaking techniques in his storytelling that i think works really well we also despite what the cover says the cover says terminated on a little like rubber stamp font and then it lists wolfman grummet and vey who is al vey who inked the last issue but al vey didn't ink this issue this is bob mcleod so a different inker and one who i think has a more traditional style that we are used to rather than al vey for the most part I really enjoyed it. There were 
a few things that were likely intentional choices, but the variety of rat creatures that we get. Like I said, I think that's on purpose, but last issue, they looked pretty much like rats the whole time, each one that we saw. And in this one, it's a variety of different kinds of monster that we see that it seemed a little bit scattered. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't really worry about that too much. Fair enough. They're just mixing things up. You know, you never know what you're going to get with the serum and the way that it works. And, you know, you might get a little bat in one, a little <laughs> horse in another one. I don't know. Well, I, it did make sense to me that at the end, one of them turned into a bat because I discussed it with you and I talked about it in the intro of the last episode. Turns out bats could be anything or anyone. Yeah. Nobody knows what a fuck a bat is. No. Whale mammal, whatever. Yeah, it's 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 either a whale or a monkey, we're pretty sure, but maybe it's also a feeling or a Subaru brat. We don't know. Probably a Subaru brat. Man, I wish. Nah. This, I love a Subaru we've brat. We've had this debate on this You're not very a fan. show. Before. I know, I know. Do you like an El Camino? No, I do not. You don't like an El Camino? Reason. No, it's an ugly fucking car that should make oh up your mind. Are you a fucking god? Are you a station wagon without a back hat or a small ugly truck? I don't know. It's both. That's and that's wonderful. Is not wonderful. All right. Wow. Dumb. <laughs> it's a dumb car. Corey, we'll just have to agree that you're wrong. I do like the Tacozilla that you showed me pictures of. That thing looks cool, and it's painted like the comic book room. I think I might need to sue Toyota over that. Ooh, good idea. Let's see if they can hook me up with a free, uh, neat truck. Yeah, the only way to get out of this lawsuit is to give me one of the things I'm suing you about. Uh-huh. That's a win-win for them. It really is. Free advertising, basically. I don't know, I'm giving them free advertising right now. This is a good faith statement that the Tacozilla is an awesome fucking concept truck, which is apparently not actually for sale anywhere. Ooh. But once it is for sale, this free advertising is really going to pay off. That's true. The Tacozilla. Catch the fever. We talked about one of the rat men infiltrating star labs which near as i can tell porous membrane pretty easy to infiltrate yep when that quote doctor unquote infiltrated the surgery i was a little bit surprised that the other doctor i don't know is from new zealand or something because he says call security stat you sound just like murray from flight of the concords thank you but yeah stat which i think is what a medical profession would say stat 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 mate <laughs> It's spelled S-T-E-T. And I was like, oh, had they not codified that medical slang yet? Or is that just a misprint? Or, as I said, is that doctor from New Zealand? And therefore possibly a minion of... Oh, are there any New Zealand villains? Or are they all pretty chill? Yeah, there's one that's... Uh, what is that horrible, horrible bird? Oh! The liver, the sheep liver eating... Oh, God, it creeps me out just thinking yeah, about it. Yeah, I, I generally you would need to be a lot more specific if you said a horrifying bird. <laughs> but uh, I know the one you're talking about. And yeah, probably that bird is in league with, uh, with the rat creatures. What the fuck are those things called? Nobody needs to know. Did you send that to me? I think a listener sent that to me and I forwarded it. Well, thanks a lot, whoever you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're a real piece of work. Also, thanks for listening. Yeah, five stars. <laughs> there is a preview blurb for the following issue at the end of the letters column. I know you don't have 
the letters column and the digital copies that you read. But I thought you might enjoy this. I did, and I think it helps illustrate my point about this issue. Next issue, part three of The Terminator Plague. This happens, then that happens, and Cyborg says, hit him, and there's lots of colors. <laughs> That's all you need to know. <laughs> I love that. It, it does follow it up by saying, uh, if we told you any more, we would simply ruin the story for you. And if I don't get fired for this next issue blurb, I'll be back with another letter column, too, next month. But I thought that was pretty funny and also illustrative of this storyline and also illustrative of the fact that possibly don't know where it's going yet. Mm. So, Deathstroke wasn't the only real piece of shit in this issue. Our old friend Speedy is back to his speedy ways, pretty much from the beginning of this issue to the end. He keeps finding different ways to be a dick and make it all about him. It's kind of his uh, specialty. It really is. Which uh, doesn't seem that in line with last issue's resolution to stop being a fuck-up. He's pretty much a fuck-up in this issue, in a lot of different ways. Mm Mm-hmm. He also, and we will get to this more in the sartorially speaking section, but his wardrobe is, I believe, the second casualty of the 90s that we see in the pages of these comics. The first being, of course, Jericho shaving off his mutton chops, leaving himself with a long curly mullet. The second being Speedy having his sleeves inexplicably disappear in this issue, and he is now suddenly super muscly and ripped, and wearing a tiny little tank top as part of his uniform. Mm -hmm. It is odd to me the extent to which this issue has, with the calendar, turned into the 90s. Like, this is the February 1990 issue of this comic book. And normally, decade tropes don't really follow the calendar that closely, but there is something about this comic book Really, the cover of this comic book, the artwork in this comic book, those fashion choices that really is just like, oh shit, we are definitely into the 90s in real time, you know? I guess maybe one little quibble with that supposition is I feel like muscle shirts were still pretty big in the 80s. They were, but in comic books, I feel like. Ah. Him being suddenly much more muscly, like, it is not Rob Liefeld art in this book, but the character design. He could be Shaft. Not, you know, the Richard Black Private Dick who's the sex machine to all the chicks. Right. But the Arrow Man who kills people with a pen in Rob Liefeld comic books. I feel like they are trying to make him more extreme. And as somebody who was reading comics as that transition happened, it is a little bit jarring to me. Because it's not my favorite era of comic books. And it's weird to see it so visually represented. Yeah, you know, he's uh, shotgunning Mountain Dew and eating extreme corn nuts off panel. Oh, if there is a character who is into extreme sports in the pages of this comic book, it is Speedy. Mm-hmm. What yeah. piece of crap. Yeah, I don't like him. No, when he's hitting on Starfire, and he's doing it in a way that's like, oh, this is just a fun joke, but you can tell he's kidding on the square. Like, he's like, you know, Dick's gone, and I'm a lot like him in a lot of ways. You like orphans? Got it covered. You like orphans who were adopted by richos? Uh-huh. Like, even if she were to entertain the possibility that there might be a spark there, 
the fact that he's trying to sell it by being like, hey, I'm a knockoff version of your yeah. boyfriend is yeah. really, like, self-deprecating in a way that I would imagine <laughs> to be unattractive to people. Oh, I would certainly think so. I would not think a strong sell- selling point would be like, I'm a pale imitation of the guy you're in love with. Huh? Huh? Pretty good. How about that? There was also a weird moment where Starfire is like, so it seems like these rat guys are picking off the female members of our team. Do you want to use me as bait? Because I'll clearly be his next target. And Cyborg is like, no, that won't work. Because you're going to be his next target because you're powerful, not because you're a woman. It's like, why couldn't you still use her as bait? Yeah, that was confusing. I did think it was interesting. That was I don't know if that's been that explicitly acknowledged before, that the most powerful in terms of superhero powers of the Titans are the female characters. But it's pretty quickly squashed by Cyborg saying, but none of that really matters because look at Dick. He's our leader and he's like a regular dude. So, Well, he only says that because Speedy is like, oh yeah, they're the most, but you just listed all the characters in the order of powers. I guess that leaves me behind. Oh, what about me? I'm Speedy. And Cyborg's like, no, 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 man. That's not why you're the least powerful. <laughs> it's for other reasons. <laughs> Dick doesn't have any powers and he's great. Damn, I wish he was here. I definitely saw that as a backhand. I enjoyed the zing. Speedy. But also another example of Speedy being the worst. He opens up the issue by being like, I can't believe Donna's dead. I used to be in love with her and she would never date me. And now she's dying. And I was such a jerk and she was cool. And uh, Mm. Corey, Mm. I don't like him. What? I know. I know. I, I try not to. Use such hurtful language, but <laughs> were you there at that local pro wrestling thing where there were the two old ladies that they were yelling at all of the heels? There was one guy that they really didn't like, and in the middle of the match, there was a point where it got really, really quiet, and you just heard one voice cutting across the auditorium and saying, "I don't like you." <laughs> And it was somehow the most, like, mic drop moment of, like, audience heckling, where it was just like, oh, shit. Those ladies were harsh. They said some pretty mean they things. They said some horrible things, the, specifically the about the characters. female heels. Yeah. yeah. I didn't like, didn't no. care for that. No, I, I didn't either. But they were, like, 90 and at a pro wrestling event, and I think they were both in, like, motorized scooters and had brought been, signs had, had and been stuff. Drinking. And had been, clearly been drinking. <laughs> So, I mean, it's not great that they were, like, saying some pretty hateful stuff, but I was, I was still glad that they were that enthusiastic fans at that age. I was also glad to have had that experience because it is one of those things where, like, I don't know, you just wonder, is this what it's like inside David Lynch's mind? <laughs> like, does he just, <laughs> is, he just sees things like this? Because this is fucking weird. Yeah. So I did put in an editor's note, but in our episode about New Titans 62, I was ribbing you a little bit about not being able to remember Bob Lanier's name. Uh, Dan Len- Lenoir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it turns out I couldn't remember it either because the character's name is Walt Lanier. <laughs> Bob Lanier was a uh, basketball player for the Detroit Pistons. <laughs> there we go. But when we see Lanier in this comic book, he is torturing a dude who I guess used to help 
Deathstroke loads some boxes, mm -hmm. and Deathstroke just watches that guy get tortured to death because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like I said, Deathstroke's a real piece of shit. Mm -hmm. There is a moment before you know what's happening in it that the people that they kill come back to life because of a serum, and it happens at midnight. There was a disconnect for me when they killed the guy and then said, we'll question him again later. Yeah, I didn't really get that. I just sort of assumed that the serum will make him that zombie rat bat yeah. guy. Yeah, we get that information later, but okay. that hadn't yet been established at that point in the comic book. So when that did happen, it reminded me of, there's the scene in the Kentucky Fried movie where in the A Fistful of Yen, the very, very problematic Enter the Dragon parody mm -hmm. in that movie. But there's a scene where the main villain cuts off a guy's head and, this, and then says, now take him to be tortured. And that was very much what that reminded me of when, like, you rip out a guy's throat, say, I don't value your life. Now, we'll question him later. Yeah. I just assumed I had read the rat bite wrongly. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, he didn't actually kill him. He just hurt him real bad. He killed him, but he'll get better, I think is the takeaway that we're supposed to have. Confusing. The other thing that was confusing in that scene to me was Mr. Lanier's speech pattern, because he's hissing some of his words, but I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce some of what he's saying. Like, he says, how, with a bunch of W's, did the Terminator get that list, McGuffey? How did he know who I was? Any questions? It was like, oh, I swear to God, I won't help. He's like, God is not here to save you, McGuffey. Only I can do that. <laughs> How do you do multiple T's at the end? How do you hiss the letter T? That. That. There's no way to do that. It doesn't make any sense. That drove me fucking nuts. I was reading that aloud to myself and I was like, and, I mean, normally, I can also read in my head. I mean, you know, not to brag. But, you know, right. yeah. trying to sound it out, what he was saying, trying to recreate that voice for myself. It was like, it got to the T's, and there's a number of words later on that he ends with multiple T's to show that he is hissing. And, like, I can see doing two T's. But once you get, like, four T's, that's nonsense. And the two T's isn't hissing, it's just that I've been listening to a lot of You Must Remember This, and Katrina Longworth, if there's a double T in a word, she'll pronounce both T's. Like, bottle. Mm. And, and I was like, oh, that's kind of charming. So I can see if he's going for, like, a Katrina Longworth thing, but uh, I, I don't see how you could pull that off with four T's. No, it really just kind of becomes a speech impediment? Like a stutter, right? Yeah. Which is not typically a menacing. No, and not in line with the way he was pronouncing other words. Like, it just doesn't work. If you're going to spell out speech phonetically, think about what you're saying. Because that doesn't work. Yeah, multiple T's always just make a one T sound. Unless you are Katrina Longworth saying bottle. Got it. Well, Corey, there's plenty more to talk about in this comic book. But I think most of what I wanted to discuss is going to come up in the minutiae. Anything you want to bring up before we head that direction? No, let's head that direction. Okay. We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Cory eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. So, Cory, what category do you feel like starting off with? Let's talk about panels. Okay. What was your favorite panel in this comic book? We talked about it a bit already. 
but I really liked what I called a uh, library horror. Mm. We've got a uh, rich old guy, mm-hmm. probably dead, broken yep. brandy snifter by his head. And I just love the idea of, yeah, like this. It's I would not have expected, like, it's a very fancy library, floor-to-ceiling bookshelves, probably mm-hmm. fireplace, stuffed overstuffed leather furniture. I'm wearing a smoking jacket. I'm fat old rich white guy drinking my brandy snifter reading a clive barker novel (laughs) (laughs) and then all these monsters bust in and just that moment like i went through this whole scenario in my head of like i'm just reading the scary book probably a little buzzed from my drink Mm -hmm. and now this stuff unfolds and then we're seeing the aftermath of it it was was like a fun little time that does seem like a pretty fun time (laughs) to imagine such a thing (laughs) unfolding right no, I, I get what you mean. It is particularly unsettling to think of somebody bursting into my library, killing me, which I will get better from, and then turn into a Renfield rat monster, and then criticizing my literary choices. <laughs> mm-hmm. I thought that was a pretty solid panel. It did weird me out, honestly, because it's describing him as a Clive Barker fan already. I was like, so does he have, like, a statue of a horse alien in his library? No, that's just... I guess some of the rat monsters aren't rats. They're embryonic alien horses. All right. Fair enough. It's certainly creepy. One of my favorite panels was another one, which we have talked about a little bit. I hate what's happening, but I do love the opening scene where Deathstroke is coming in through the window in partial silhouette, and you see. Beast Boy sprawled out in his bed, got his feet sticking out from under the blankets. He's wearing his heart pajamas. He's cuddling his uh, teddy owl. I'm pretty sure it's an owl. And uh, yeah, you see all the empty picture frames. I thought that was a really nicely done panel. That's a good one. My other favorite also was silhouette related, and it is a split screen silhouette of the operating room, where you see in yellow lighting with silhouettes, the doctors working on Raven, and then it is bifurcated on the other side of the panel. It is green silhouettes of the Titans in the waiting room, and I thought that was just really, really nicely done. You can see the partition between the two, the glass through which the Titans are watching from the waiting room. Is this really cool? Yeah, I like that one, too. I'm a, a sucker for a good silhouette and maybe a little bit of a gradient in the in the background, mm-hmm. which the green one has. I'm always stoked to see them, but then a little bit torn about putting them down as my choice because it does mean I have to try to spell the word silhouette, mm. which is a tricky one. Give it a shot. No, thank you. Oh, okay. Uh, S-I-L-H-O-U-E-T-T-E. Silhouette. Ah. I don't know how to spell it. Is there an H in there? Nobody knows for sure. It is what it is. People do things. I have one other contender. I kind of went classic on it. It's on page 22, and it's the typical Titans Go, Mm. uh, where they're all charging into the, I guess, operating room to try and beat up the bad guys. That is a good Titans Go panel. I like that one a lot. I do feel bad for the nurse in that, who is apparently carrying some coffee on a tray, and Beast Boy as a gorilla just knocks her over and sends the coffee flying. 
this is several minutes into a rat attack, it seems like, so it's an odd time for her to just be carrying a tray around over her head like a cartoon waiter. Mm -hmm. But uh, I still felt bad for her. Yeah. The team panel that I thought was the most interesting was one that I don't think was entirely effective. It is the let's go over that wall, everybody panel where they are uh, with Deathstroke ascending to the rooftop to spy down through the skylight on the Ratmen. There's a lot of very dynamic things happening in it, but the timing of it is a little bit off because most people are doing very dynamic things and like starting the leap and then Speedy is having his hitting on Starfire conversation. I did appreciate that Joey's just like, I'm not going to climb that wall myself. I'll just hitch a ride inside a raven. I like the idea that he's just constantly hitchhiking inside of other people to save himself effort. I think that's clever of him. You also see Deathstroke has his little grappling gun thing, mm -hmm. which is cool. It's a tool that I always associate with Batman, but I found out pretty recently the first time Batman uses a thing like that is in the Batman movie, hmm. the Michael Keaton one. Oh, really? Yeah, it's the first time you see him use a grappling hook gun, which I think becomes a regular part of his uh, utility belt from that point forward. I almost think it, in real life, wouldn't work, because A, how would you get a little motor in there strong enough to lift, I don't know, 200 pounds with gear, maybe, mm -hmm. up, up a little string? And second of all, I don't know if you ever tried to like climb a rope or do anything that requires your hand strength to hoist your own body up with one hand? Not very frequently. But uh, seems like it's pretty I, tricky. I would fall, yeah. I think, if I was holding on to a little grappling gun. Going well, on. it is Batman. He He's in, I believe, pretty good shape, generally. That's true. But, yeah, it does seem like it would be uh, maybe a bit of a stretch to have a winch with that much power inside a handheld device. Man, I really wish I had one of those so we could try that. That would be pretty fun. See who can make it up to the roof without falling down. We could look it up. I bet there probably is a device like that. Like, now that I'm saying it, I bet, like, fucking Elon Musk or somebody paid somebody a billion dollars to make him a bat book. Yeah. I bet every cool thing from fiction or legend, some billionaire has paid somebody to make for him. Probably Jeff Bezos has a Santa sleigh. <laughs> They can travel around the world and visit every house in the world in one night. But he doesn't use it. No, because he's an asshole. He's not going to give people presents. Yeah. Fuck that guy. Yeah. Millionaires are the worst. Keeping all those cool things. Not even fighting crime. Like they're supposed to. <laughs> Show off. <laughs> <laughs> Corey, yeah. sartorially speaking, which elements of fashion in this comic did you find most noteworthy? We have discussed both of them already, but I just had two. One, Beast Boy's PJs with hearts all over them. Mm -hmm. B, the smoking jacket attire of the uh, rich dead man. Yep, the Clive Barker fan has a pretty sweet smoking jacket. I, I like his outfit, very masterpiece theater. Which, you know, apparently post-midnight is going to be a real monster piece theater. Oh, I see what you did. But not in the Alistair Cookie way. No. In the you know, horrifying zombie man who 
has indistinct monster features the way that these guys do in this? I, as a child, because for the longest time we only got PBS, watched a fair amount of Masterpiece Theater. Uh -huh. And so when I heard Cookie Monster make that joke, I got it. And I felt pretty clever. Uh -huh. You were a very Uriadite young man. Yep. One piece of fashion that we haven't mentioned, which you did actually text me about before we started recording, <laughs> is so on the dumb. cover. The Ratman. I believe that's probably uh, Mr. Lanier on the cover. You mentioned that he has a hell of a merkin going on for himself. I don't know if that's fashion, but it's the way he styled his hair in his downstairs region, certainly. But yeah, it does raise an interesting issue with these comic books, because when you have these feral creatures, they have to be naked but you can't draw their ding-dongs. And so he has peekaboo crotch curtains that he has styled out of his own lower abdomen hair. It's an impressive mane. And uh, yeah, that's a challenge for the artist, right? Because on one hand, he could go like, I don't know, rats probably got pretty small junk. I don't really have to draw anything. But when you make it man-sized, it's a different thing. Like, I think rats have small junk. Relative to, rel no, not to brag, but relative to us. <laughs> uh, but that's because they're like, you know, the creature's three inches long. I think if the, it's like you got a 400 pound rat man like these guys, six feet tall, I think they would at least have visible junk, right? I don't know. Humans, relative to other animals I do recall reading somewhere, have the like body size to junk ratio is off the charts yeah well with the exception being uh bonobo chimps i believe would yeah. be the only well, primate with a similar similar junk they're working with uh gorillas uh notably average like uh, however big a gorilla is like thousand pounds probably pretty big 800 pounds yeah give or take nobody knows how big a gorilla is but what we do know is that they got a uh, two inch penises when fully erect so uh take that gorillas surprising amount of <laughs> anatomy talk on this show well son you've come to the right place <laughs> let's face it in this job i see a lot of penises animals penises that is any other fashion nope i have pjs merkins and smoking jackets that's all i got Corey, every issue of a Titans comic book has a Beast Boy, the worst of Titans until Danny fucking Chase showed up, and also an Aqualad, the greatest of Titans, full stop. In this issue, who'd you have as your Aqualad? Who did you have as your Beast Boy? It may surprise you that my Beast Boy in this issue was speedy for all of the reasons that we, I think, already mentioned. Mm -hmm. I was torn between speedy and deathstroke they both did spectacularly terrible jobs i think i am probably going to give the slight edge to speedy just because he is more of a canonical titan although at this point deathstroke is basically part of the team so i think he is eligible and he also did a very bad job but i i too i think i'm going with speedy good choice Conversely, who did you have as your Aqualad? This was a lot harder for me. This was a tough one. I wound up going with Starfire because I felt like she took the most direct action mm -hmm. and was the only one to actually dispatch one of the bad guys, totally. Yeah, her prevaricating before bringing Raven to the hospital was very frustrating for me. That kept her out of the top spot. Mm -hmm. 
Cyborg seemed fine, but he also did that thing that I talked about earlier where Starfire's like, well, he'll be after me because I'm a woman, so you can use me as bait. And Cyborg's like, no, he'll be after you because you're the most powerful, so we can't use you as bait? Seems like you know who they're going after next. You could still use her as bait. You have no basis for dismissing her, her argument there. So he couldn't get the top spot. We talked about Deathstroke and Speedy and what pieces of crap they were. Beast Boy continually talking about how good a friend Deathstroke is. Really frustrating for me. Especially after the knife thing. That's got to put a dent in any friendship. <laughs> you would certainly think. But I just snuck into your room and <laughs> held you at knife point while you were blindfolded. You'd think that would at least bump you down a few marks on the speed dial. Donna barely appears in this issue. Raven gets snuck up on and attacked and doesn't really do too much in this issue either. I, mean, I felt bad for her. You know, she, she got bit by a rat a couple of times. They dumped serum in her mouth, which she fucking hated. Then it looked like they put way too much eyeshadow on her, which just a dick move on the rat creature's part. But she didn't really do enough to earn her the top spot. I went with Joey, I guess, just because he did a nice thing where he jumped into the room first to try to rescue Raven and made a nurse karate chop a New Zealand doctor in the throat. So, oh, it probably wasn't the New Zealand doctor. It was probably the, the rat monster doctor. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so, too. You know, an, another thing, I w also, I was annoyed that Starfire didn't take Raven to the hospital quick enough, but uh, she did two other things that were good, and that yeah. was in the pursuit of the bad rats. She uh, stopped to uh, save two people from falling to death. First was Deathstroke, which, eh. Yeah. And then the second was a... An, an alcoholic gentleman, I believe he was at least coded as. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that was a good job, but I was annoyed enough with her stopping to have a little debate with speedy uh, just philosophize about like no i'm not saying this because i feel bad that i killed him i'm just explaining that i killed him and speedy taking that opportunity to be just like i don't care you can kill people if you want want to hook up better than dick dick always yells at you when you murder people but she stops there and then after she kills the other guy then she stops is like oh no i killed a rat creature it's like you thought you killed a rat creature like a minute ago and didn't feel bad about what is going on with this lady so yeah i like i said it's a tentative joy i don't think he did a great job but by default he pissed me off the least it's hard for me to give him the nod in any circumstance because the inherent total creepiness of his power yeah i liked that though i think it makes him identifiable that he uh, just doesn't like to run so he hitches rides in his teammates yeah, it's a creepy thing to do but i i, I do also hate running so do you think he asked before like he saw raven getting her soul self on he just jumped on in or do you think they have like a i think they have an. it looked in that panel like they have an understanding and she's like all right fine just a little gesture yeah like like you know you're leaving a party and you're like get a ride with you you mm -hmm. know like do a hand signal with mm -hmm. your friend right mm -hmm. yeah one of my favorite uh one-liners that i was able to deliver when i was a little bit on the tipsy side was uh me and my friend had gone to a venue together and as we were leaving guy was asking for a ride he's like uh you guys come together i said well we try to time it that way but you know somebody's <laughs> always a little more excited <laughs> made him very uncomfortable just give him a ride yeah oh. i didn't want to <laughs> <laughs> i was trying to avoid that so wasn't entirely effective but i was still pretty good pretty, pretty pleased with myself yeah not bad yeah 
In addition to a best Titan and a worst Titan, every issue of a Titans comic also has a president of the drama club, a character who has to act, or rather overact, in the most dramatic fashion. Who'd you have as your president of the drama club this issue? For this issue, I had our friend, I guess, Speedy, for his... Technically, it's a monologue because there was other people there, but really it was a soliloquy because he was alone talking to himself. Everybody had tuned him out. Yeah. Talking about what a piece of garbage he was and how nice Donna was, and still she wouldn't get sexy with him. (laughs) Yeah. What a bummer for Speedy. It also, that seems like, I, I guess maybe this is a retconning of history, which maybe that is something that changed with the Crisis on Infinite Earth, but... I don't think that had previously been their dynamic, as memory serves. Like, all the Titans kind of had a crush on Donna, and she would flirt with, like, Aqualad and Kid Flash and Speedy and Hawk, but it never seemed like any of them were, like, super obsessed or serious about her, you know? hmm I don't know. Speedy was in the running for me. Again, it came down to him or Deathstroke. I think breaking into a teenager's room and holding a knife to his throat rather than leaving a note is a pretty goddamn traumatic thing to do. So uh, I think just for the sake of variety, I'm going to give my nod to Deathstroke in this one. But could have gone either way. Speedy did really make it all about him in this issue in a way that I found very frustrating. Certainly a solid choice. Thank you. Corey, we're able to find a timestamp in this comic book. That was tricky. I did look up when Books of Blood came out in hardback, and that is 1991, because this is 1990, actually. Yeah, yeah. So it's close, but that was kind of all I got. Yeah, I also just went with the popularity and, to a certain extent, ubiquity of Clive Barker. I I feel like that is a very late 80s, early 90s thing. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I got that, uh, when did that Scott Bakula movie come out? Like, Master of Illusion? Is that what it's called? I don't know that one. It's got Scott Bakula. Quantum Leap guy? Yeah. Oh, that's added to our list. Wasn't there a movie where David Cronenberg starred in a Clive Barker movie? I think it's called Nightbreed. Man, I think I saw that when I was a young person, but I don't remember. We should maybe oh, revisit that. Geez, that's how how you the list too? Let's traumatize ourselves, shall we? We'll start with Videodrome. Oh, what a great time! <laughs> Thanks for the laughs, Cronenberg. <laughs> <laughs> what a cut up, this guy. Corey, let's take this party to the Bozo. What instance of one character calling another character a bozo, either literally or metaphorically, you want to talk about? I had a two-parter, and it started with Speedy calling himself a wimp, followed up by Cyborg, kind of underhandedly, but confirming that he kind of sucked. Yeah, that's uh, page 18, I believe you're referring to, and we did reference it slightly before. Cyborg has just listed the power order of the Titans, and Speedy says, And coming up the rear, Speedy the Wimp. Thanks a lot, guys. And Cyborg says, What they perceive as power has nothing to do with what's important. Remember, Nightwing's our leader, and damn do I wish he was here now. (laughs) Very, very strongly implying, Instead of you, you fucking piece of shit. Yep. Zing. (laughs) Zing indeed. 
I went with an earlier zinger, which is also a back and forth between my contenders for the Beast Boy in this issue, Deathstroke and Speedy. Deathstroke is explaining that uh, he's a good guy now, so he was only withholding the cure for cancer and AIDS. So he says, uh, you know I get paid by taking on special jobs. And Speedy says, translation, I'm a scuzzy mercenary. Hey, let's all play what he says and what he means. It's like, oh, that's pretty good. And then Deathstroke responds, I seem to recall you once had a child with a scuzzy mercenary. Or am I wrong? It's like, oof, Deathstroke did not come to play. Also true. Yeah. But scuzzy mercenary, pretty obvious. Bozo. Oh, yeah. Those yeah. Uh, scuzzy mercenaries are all a bunch of bozos. Yeah. I don't think anybody ever says scuzzy in a nice way. No. It's not like scruffy. Mm-hmm. There's a possible good connotation to it. Yeah, like a cute puppy. Yeah. My favorite kind of dog is a scruffy dog. Nice kind of dog to be. Mm-hmm. Conversely, probably my least favorite kind of nerf herder. What is a nerf herder? It's something that Princess Leia calls Han Solo. A scruffy-looking nerf herder. Huh. Yeah. Hey there, this is Editor Hub here in the future. So, we've got a bunch of morning doves in our neighborhood, and at this point, they started making some noise. The recording didn't pick it up, though. Is that an owl? It's morning doves. Corey, <laughs> that is what it sounds like when doves cry. Prince song is way better. I know, but... He's apparently a pretty terrible bird caller. Because <laughs> that's not at all what it sounds like no, when Doves Cry. Not, no, he just is yeah, looking for cr- something that sounds cool. It sounds like... <laughs> you got like four minutes of that. That is not going to top the charts. No. 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 I would totally listen to a Prince album of bird calls. Of Prince making bird calls? Yeah. Mm. Well, Corey... I think it's time that we had ourselves a Battle of the Band Names! What band names were we able to find in the text of this comic? First one is a bar band that does mostly, no, exclusively Aerosmith covers. Oh? And they're called Total Transfusion. Why are they called that? Because uh, the guy that started the band heard a rumor that when Joe Perry was trying to deal with addictions, he had all of his blood replaced. Oh, those toxic twins. Mm-hmm. All right. Total transfusion. Aerosmith covers bar band. I can see that happening. Yep. Do you think maybe somebody in total transfusion is like their claim to fame is that they donated the blood that was transfused into Joe Perry? So they're basically blood brothers. They would have said such a thing, yes. Oh, but it's not true. You know, people do do things, but nobody (laughs) knows. Fair enough. I guess that's kind of one, too. Two of them. Yeah, that was... That was a double. Yeah, fair enough is, I think, maybe my favorite thought-terminating cliche. Uh I have a... uh, I think they're a new wave band. Maybe, like, a slightly harder-edged new wave band called The New Scars. Oh, shit. Oh, you had the new scars, too? I did. Honestly, this issue was pretty difficult. I only had one other option. I guess we were probably going with the new scars, unless you also had Plague Serum. No, that was on the short list, but... uh, Didn't quite make your cut? Didn't quite make it. Yeah, I figured Plague Serum, probably new metal, something like that. 
the spidery font kind of metal. Yeah. What kind of band did you think the new Scars was? Well, in my research to make sure it wasn't an actual band, I did find just the regular Scars. Oh, okay. They were a Scottish uh, punk band, I think. Okay, so this is like a revival, like the New Monkeys, when they so. did that? Yeah. Okay. No, I think that makes sense. They're a revival of an existing punk band. You know, they're prefab. Yeah. <laughs> put together by the record labels, just trying to cash in on that big Scars nostalgia. Yep. For the new generation. Like, old Scars fans are going to want to take their kids to the concert. Yeah, I think that's a good call. Yeah, the new Scars. Were the Scars good? Did you listen to any of their music? I didn't. No, I just, the name came up in the search. Well, the new Scars it is. Which means that I have just one further question I have to ask you. Corey, in the year of our Lord, 1991, as we are almost a year ahead of the cover date of the comics at this point, and the month of our Lord, January, what was Aqualad probably up to, Corey? Wapoot! So, with the full realization that, that this is becoming a bit of a trope in my wapoots, mm-hmm. once again, Beaky is fucking things up. No. Yep. That bird. So, as we probably talked about a lot on this show, Aqualad, pretty big fan of uh, pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. Which is why, on January 11, 1991, he found himself at the Meadowlands Arena in uh, East Rutherford, Jersey, watching a, a big WrestleFest. And as always, he had, he had smuggled in his pal Beaky uh-huh. with him. And, you know, they were having a few, as usual, and some beer up in the stand. Uh, sure, some... you gotta stay hydrated. You yeah. gotta have some liquid in him every hour. Beer's mostly water, so mm-hmm. it works. They had a lot. It got towards the end of the night, the finale of the show. Oh, I know who that is. Yeah, Ric Flair. And I don't know if uh, Sting has a signature sound like Ric Flair does. Roxanne! <laughs> no, different Sting. Sorry. Are you sure? I'm not. They're both blonde. Uh-huh. Is it possible that it is Frodo's sword that was the opponent? Also a thing called Sting. Uh-huh. Hmm. Is it the 1970s Robert Redford Paul Newman movie? No, it's just the, it, it is the pro wrestler from the, the 80s and oh, 90s. okay, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Pretty pretty famous one, I gather. Mm-hmm. Won a championship 15 some odd times, something mm-hmm. like that. Used to be a tag team partner of the Ultimate Warrior back when the Ultimate Warrior was going by the name The Dingo Warrior for no apparent reason. That is a weird name. Didn't mm-hmm. they wind up facing off to some? I think they... No, Sting no. and the Ultimate Warrior did not. Uh, Sting was, for the vast majority of his career, I believe until after the death of the Ultimate Warrior, he was uh, never in the WWF until a very brief stint, very late in his run. Ah, okay. Yeah, and I guess I should note that this is the WCW promotion, World mm-hmm. Championship Wrestling. So anyway, they're there having themselves a good old time, and walk-on music happens. You know, we got our rocks hands, and we got our woos, <laughs> and all this stuff's happening. So the thing about Sting is he will paint his face in various ways, mm-hmm. um, sometimes which complement his, his leggings with the, the snake on them and the fringe and everything. And in this particular event, it was all kind of shades of green. 
Mm. And turns out that Beaky is mortally terrified of Komodo dragons. Understandably so. Yeah, creepy lizards. Sure. A lot of bacteria can make you very sick if mm-hmm. they bite you. And um, also quite in his cups, you know, pelicans aren't big birds, and so it doesn't take them a, a lot to get their drink on. Anyway. They're pretty scary birds, though. They, oh. they can eat big things, and they are birds. I'm not saying pelicans aren't scary. Okay. Which is why Sting was fucking terrified when a scared and enraged Beaky flew down with his full might and just started attacking the shit out of him. This, fortunately, was off camera um, uh. as he was making his way to the stage. And, uh, yeah, security was able to subdue and usher out a very agitated Beaky. But not before some of his feathers kind of got into the uniform of the pants area of Sting. Yeah, the pantular region. Yeah, who, a lot of people don't know this, they just sort of assume he was scripted to, you know, lose that fight, letting Ric Flair claim the heavyweight championship that year. But no, he was just really distracted by the uh, itchy featheriness, Mm. and and that's why he lost, and Ric Flair won the match and (laughs) became... The WrestleMan Heavyweight Champion for the WCW. The WrestleMan Heavyweight Champion. Yes, he certainly was. You can tell I'm a real student of the sport. <laughs> uh-huh. That was uh, one of 10 WCW championships that he won. And uh, in total, he won 16 heavyweight championships in his career. One more than Sting. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. Sting the wrestler. Right. Sting the... I almost just called him an ombudsman, which is certainly not his title. <laughs> for wrestling. Yeah, yeah, sure. Real ombudsman for this sport. <laughs> well, that is part of what Aqualad was probably up to in January of 1991. But it is not all that he was up to. Because, in addition to that, Aqualad was also watching Point Break. Mm. And why not? Yeah, it's a good movie. It's kind of all I got. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was like that was like a Cory <laughs> Whoopoot. I figure probably Aqualad was a big fan of Catherine Bigelow's work. He saw Near Dark and was really moved by its portrayal of, among other things, a very powerful sociopathic little fuck up of a kid who had a shag haircut. And, uh, you know, he ran into Danny Chase at some point. That reminded him of the movie Near Dark. Then he saw the Point Breaks coming out. And he's like, probably see Point Break because I like Catherine Bigelow. Mm -hmm. But mostly you just watch Point Break because it's a good movie. Mm -hmm. Pretty fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Flea and Anthony Kiedis were in that movie. Oh, really? Yeah, they uh, play jerk Nazi surfers, I think. Mm. Which would imply that they must die. Because that's surf Nazis for you. Yep, must I. They must. Mm -hmm. And that's what Aqualad was probably up to. All right. Corey, I had a great time talking about this comic book with you. I always enjoy when we have a split opinion on a comic book. Yeah, me too. I'm glad you came around. Did I? (laughs) (laughs) We'll be back next week to talk some Defenders. And in the meantime, if you would like to get into touch with us, we can be reached at Tighten up the defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon, 97294. As this episode is being released, it is probably on or pretty close to uh, Corey's birthday. So, you could send him a present there. Oh. That would be nice. And then, uh, you know, I'll put my name on it. 
<laughs> In addition to your name. It'll be from both of us, listener. Won't that be fun? It'll be like we're doing something together. So, uh, yeah, send, send, send something to Corey. He deserves it. He's a nice man. You know what you could get me for my birthday? That would, that would be great. What's that? Is a review of the show so uh-huh. that more people can find the show. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, and it could say something like, I don't know, happy birthday, Corey, five stars. Yeah, I think that would be a very nice thing for you to do. You know, it's honest. It'll tell people, because it will work too, right? Because mm-hmm. if I read a review like that, and I knew that that was the name of one of the hosts of the show. Oh, you should probably explain that Corey's one of the hosts of the show in the review then. Yeah. People might not otherwise. Know. Okay. So yeah, parenthetically, yeah. who is one of the hosts of the show? Mm-hmm. You know, I would think if somebody cares enough to do that for somebody they haven't really met in person, maybe that's uh, worth giving a listen. Yeah, it's a sterling recommendation of Corey, both as a human being as an, and as a uh, podcast co-host. Yep. I agree. I think that would be a nice thing to do. But also, if you want to mail him something, then uh, tighten up the defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon, 97294. Whenever I say that in that voice, I feel like I should be listing the side effects of a prescription medication. To me, it has the feel of, like, Sham Wow, or, like, mm-hmm. one of those TV things. Not available in every offer. Right. But we are available in every offer. I don't know what that means. I am confused. Welcome to the club. <laughs> if you'd like to voice your confusion to us, we can also be reached electronically. Can you imagine what a future we live in? At ttwasteland.gmail.com. We're also up on the internets sometimes. I have been a little quieter on it lately. This seems to happen cyclically, where I'll go through a period of saying more stuff on the internet, and then something else terrible will fucking happen, and I'll be like, you know, people don't really need to hear from me. There's more important things to think about than our podcast, and I'll stay off of the social media for a while because I'll be self conscious. So we're probably. I don't know if recent history is any judge experiencing another one of those times right now. So you might have trouble finding me on the social media. But good news, if you are having trouble, there's one more place you can look. And that's deep inside your heart. We'll be in there. We always have been. Corey, what are you going to be doing inside people's hearts this week? Probably the same or similar thing as last week, which which I I can't remember what I said 100%, but I think it had something to do with your new, I guess, invention that I'm calling a Hubs Tequila Shandy, Mm. which is a sweet fruit juice of some sort, some tequila, and a beer. Yeah, we're uh, right now drinking a concoction that is, or I'm drinking, Corey has long finished a concoction that is uh, Tecate Mango Lemonade, And a fancy tequila that you brought back from Mexico for me. Yes, with a splash of lemon. Mm Mm-hmm. It's going down real smooth. It's good. Thank you. Yeah, I'll probably be having one of those. I might be grilling up some more turkey dogs. I've been doing that lately. If you're looking for the perfect hot dog condiment situation, I'm going to recommend this. Sriracha mayo, third of a slice of American cheese, ripped up into little strips, and caramelized onions. Beautiful. It's so fucking good. If you would like to support the show financially, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. If you do, you get access to a whole bunch of bonus material. We have just recorded, I think it should be up 
around the time this drops, a new What the Duck, a podcast most filed but with the W because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. That is the Howard the Duck podcast that I co-host with my wife, Lisa. There are also a bunch of video reviews of classic comic books that are up there and a bunch of other stuff that is there as a thank you to you for supporting us and making it possible for us to keep doing the show. So thank you for that. If people would like to support the show in a non-monetary way, in addition to leaving a happy birthday review for our good friend Corey here, Corey, do you have any other suggestions of a way people could support the show? Yeah, um, you could tell people about the show in a more in-person way than leaving a review, which Mm -hmm. is pretty anonymous, right? Yeah. And so, I don't know, you're having dinner with a friend. Sure. A friend could say something like, Oh, you seem in good spirits. What podcast have you been listening to? Funny you should ask, friend. And then, you know, tell them about the show. Yeah, I think that is an excellent suggestion. I was going to suggest that maybe you break into somebody's household a knife to their throat and uh, say, this is the only way I could tell you, but there's a great podcast. Tighten up the defense. But as I'm saying that, I realize... That is a horrible thing to do. Yeah, don't and, be a, and don't be a very illegal, and uh, you would rightfully go to jail. And uh, would also, it's just a terrible thing to do. Don't don't do that. What was I thinking? I don't know, but you you got one good to do and one bad to do. So. It's a real goofus gallant situation. Yep. Don't be a goofus. Be a gallant. But uh, in most situations, I think goofus is a pretty cool guy. Yeah, just don't bring a knife to a slumber party <laughs> no never bring a knife to a slumber party that is a see that's a that right there is beautiful adage thank you that's why people listen to your beautiful adages mm, i did have a whole twitter account that was unuseful aphorisms mm. but that's a useful one so it wouldn't work mm-hmm. what's an unuseful one oh uh, let me look one up any underpants or edible undies if you believe in yourself Oh. If wishes were waffles, then syrup would be either very expensive or super cheap, depending on whether new technology was introduced to accommodate the increased demand. But there'd probably be more of it. Syrup, that is. What is the aphorism exactly? It's like a saying. Like, uh, you know, if uh, wishes were fishes, then horses would have some fish. Huh. Okay. I knew of it as a saying. I just didn't know if there was something that qualified it as an aphorism. I think it has to like be like a piece of advice, like an like an advice saying, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Don't be a jerk. Sure. Uh, folksy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that'd be a good one, right? Yeah. Well, until next week. Wishes were fishes. Lots of syrup. Mmm. Guests like fishes. Last longer when stored in a refrigerator. Oh no, you're what? getting that's the death strokey again. I don't oh, like sorry. Um, a wizard who sends you on a quest that involves corn nuts is probably just an old man wearing a birthday hat. There you go. All right. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Yeah, I had the same thing when I read it. I was like, okay, I get the hissing, but that. Is it like a, just a very like a.
like you could put a breath after the T. James Earl Jones enunciation. Mm-hmm. You can almost do it because he also ends words with multiple Ks, which maybe was just illustrating that he's a racist. <laughs> but like, I was trying to be it's like, it's not what you think, KKK. <laughs> <laughs> but I was trying, yeah, I was trying to be like, think. Nope. No, I think it is like a Darth Vader, like or a uh, bad guy from. Conan the Barbarian. So, basically, James Earl Jones. Think. <laughs> That's how he sounds, right? I'm a rat man. Oh, man. It's took a Ferris Bueller's Day off turn. That was weird. Ferris Bueller's kind of a little rat man. What? I don't care for that guy. No? No. Because he lied to his parents? <laughs> yep. Not cool, Ferris Bueller. <laughs> I didn't like the way he was manipulating his friend Cameron to get what he wants. Uh, yes. Really fucked that guy over. It's bogus. <laughs> I don't care for that. <laughs> 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 